talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Hello and welcome to episode five of the Shoeless Goat podcast, where a Cubs, White Sox, and MLB podcast. I'm your host, Nick. I am once again joined by the mayor of Section 509, Patrick Bovard. Pat, how you doing, bud? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. You know, it's today being Easter and everything, I'm feeling a, I'm in a pretty joyous mood. So uh, between that and the beautiful weather we got in Chicago today, can't really complain too much. Yeah, it was snow a week ago to this day. Today, high 70s low 80s with the sun perfect that's yeah i mean that's april in chicago it's not a th- not a thing you find everywhere yeah no kidding so cubs Sox both had a pretty good week this week um we're gonna do our weekly recaps as we always do so uh the bigger stories are our main stories which will be a lot of fun to talk about but uh how did the Sox do this week uh they did extremely okay they uh went three and three with a one game uh, yesterday's game on Saturday postponed in Detroit due to rain. Uh, we started off on a pretty good note. They beat the Royals 5-4 to four on Monday. Weren't looking too good for most of that game. And then it was a tie game 3-3 in, in the seventh. Then I uh, can't remember who exactly it was. I think it was Billy uh, Hamilton was stealing second. Wellington Castillo just made an absolute uh, butchery of a throw into the outfield, and he ended up getting to third and scoring. Uh, but then he Wellington Castillo hit the go-ahead home run in the eighth, so they ended up winning 5-4. Tuesday's game was a lot more entertaining. Uh, they beat the Royals 5-1. Uh, that biggest part of that one was two home runs by Yohan Moncada. I was at that game this week, so you know, getting to see him hit a couple bombs from the Goose Island section was certainly a treat. Uh, Yonder Alonso also hit a home run in that game and hit a double. Overall, pitching was pretty good. Ronaldo Lopez went six, only gave up a run, so that he looked much better than he had uh, previously in the season. Uh, the next game on Wednesday was a uh, – that was something we'll be definitely talking about a little bit later on. Yeah, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yep. So, anyways, they lost that game 3-4 uh, to four in extras. Uh, Tim Anderson started off the scoring with a two-run homer in the fourth where uh, the bat flip heard around the world as far as April bat flips go. Happened, so that was a uh, – you know, it was an entertaining game. I'll save any more talk about that one for later because I know we'll be talking about it. Thursday, they lost to Detroit 7-9. That was an ugly game overall. Uh, bad pitching. Uh, they really gave that one away and should have won. So not going to say too much else there. Friday, they won 7-3. That was a really good game. Uh, Rodon pitched extremely well. Uh, Mankata, you know, they busted that one open. It was a pretty close game. Then all of a sudden, they get the bases Loaded, Moncada has a couple RBIs in that one, so he looked great all week. Uh, they won that one 7-3. Like I said, Saturday was a rainout, so nothing to discuss from yesterday. And then today's game was a 3-4 loss where not a terrible day from Reynaldo Lopez, but not great. So, like I said, overall, they went 3-3 three and three this week. So, if they keep can keep going 500, I'll be happy. But, yeah, you know, moving forward, I'm hoping they can take more than one game against the Tigers because that's a team they should be able to beat. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, 3-3, three and three, you can't really complain. Actually, the game that they lost to the Tigers was like a comeback into the ninth, I want to say, or did it go extra innings? Yep. I was watching the end of that. Yeah, it did, it did go into extras, yeah. Yeah, so it was good to see. I think it was Wellington Castillo hit a two-run homer to tie it up, which made mm-hmm. it ten times more exciting. Yeah. So it's good to see that kind of stuff. Yeah, he had a, you know, he'd been struggling early on in the year, so having a couple clutch home runs this week was pretty big because 
Now, if he can start hitting, that adds another piece to our lineup because right now the catcher spot has not been a, our strong suit, uh, to say the least. Yeah, you're, uh, you might be missing Giovanni Soto. Former Cub and White Sox. You know, we could use that bat in the lineup, but at this point, catcher, it really is just a holdover until Zach Collins and Sebi Zavala come up uh, later this year. So both of them have been doing pretty well in Charlotte. So definitely looking forward to yeah, that. Yeah, Sox fans are getting excited about those two. Uh, I'll do some Cubs talk now. Cubs, fantastic week, 5-1. and one. Um, and it would, it shouldn't have even been a six and zero. Like the the loss was like just a bad loss. So five and one will take it. I mean, it does come at the hands of the uh, Miami Marlins and the Arizona Diamondbacks. But at the same time, you still have to win those games. It was a sweep in Miami. It was a dominant. Like that team is just not built to win at all. Cole Hamels, Jose Quintana looked lights out as they have in the last two weeks, which has been perfect. But you got to get those sweeps, I think. Losing a game to the Marlins mm-hmm. would really just not do them any favors. Uh, the Marlins are going to win 55 to 65 games this year. You just don't want to be on the other side of those. So to get that sweep is very important, especially away. Not to mention they'll be back in town in a couple weeks. So hopefully another sweep on the other end. Then the Diamondbacks came to town. They went 2-1. and one. Yesterday was the bad loss. It was a pretty iffy Udarvish start, which is something we're kind of getting used to. Um, day before that, though, Kyle Hendricks looked absolutely dominant. Seven innings, two walks, 11 Ks. It was the first solid start he's had all year, so it's really important that he keeps that up. But it was just good to see because we expected so much of him. But I think in his first four uh, games, he'd given up like something like 27 hits, which is you just can't win that way, especially if you're like a sinker baller like Hendricks is. And then the Sunday game, which as we're recording was today, was one of the most entertaining games um, I've been to in a while. I, I was at all three this this weekend, and Tyler Chatwood came in, walked the first batter on four pitches. The entire stadium collectively groaned and booed, and then Tyler Chatwood followed up with six innings of two hit baseball with I think it was like three or four Ks. His pitch count was only about seventy when uh, Joe decided to go to the pen. And then we had a little bit of excitement at the end. Pedro Strope gave up a home run in the ninth to tie it. So it was 1-1, followed by the bottom of the ninth. Javi Baez leads off with a triple. A couple guys get on, and then David Bode sends a uh, single up the middle to win it. So it was a great way to end the week on a walk-off. You get the series win. Tyler Chatwood, who's filling in for John Lester, looked fantastic. And it's the stuff we were hoping to see all of last year. And he definitely had some mechanical issues he's been working through. But to see him work through those and have a quality start, you can't beat that. I mean, he was at like 70 pitches in like the sixth inning when he got taken out. It's It was incredible. Yeah, I think, you know, for the Cubs, at least that's, you know, you got, I think a lot of people worried about Hendricks, but I think anybody that really follows baseball knew eventually he was going to turn it around. So I think, yeah, like you said, getting this type of start was definitely encouraging. And, you know, Chatwood, you know, he's never going to be a Cy Young winner, but, you know, if you can get outings like this out of him, I think with, you know, the way Darvish is struggling and it's starting to look like maybe he won't uh, get back to his previous form, you'll certainly take it. The one thing I definitely got out of that, though, as I'm listening to you talk about the Marlins, is just thinking how good would that team be if they still had uh, Yelich just dropping bombs in the outfield, Stanton, and then Ozuna as their worst outfielder. Like, just thinking about every – and then plus Real Muto, just thinking of everybody they sold away, it's crazy. Yeah, D. Gordon as well, and we've talked mm-hmm. about this amongst our group of buddies before. the The tragic passing of Jose Fernandez was really mm-hmm. the first domino of all, all that just falling apart. And there's a lot of criticism sent towards Derek Jeter, and 
for the Marlins fans that still exist, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. But it's just uh, the franchise doesn't look good. No. Brinson, who they traded Yelich for, not good. They might have to send him down. So uh, who knows what's going to happen with the Marlins. But, I mean, I'm glad to be on the other side of the, yeah. the win column against them three times. Like I said, you, you can't beat that. It's just crazy because, you know, I guess nobody knew Yelich was going to be this good. But it's just, it just you know, he's, what, it's 13 home runs now. So when you see that, it's just like if you have him and you have a healthy Stanton out there in the outfield, how, like that would have been an absolutely powerhouse offense. Yeah, and in a uh, deep park too. I think that's helping Yelich a lot. Is mm-hmm. is the fact that he's in a smaller park. Yeah, that's true. Going back to it, I had a lot of fans asking me, like after the game, right away, because of course Cub fans are very quick to make decisions that Chatwood should be starting instead of Darvish now. And I just, it, it was an interesting game. It was a lot of fun today, but I just don't think we're ready for that no. just yet. No, I mean you're paying Darvish ace money, and I mean although Chatwood looked good today. I think you need to see more out of him before you make a move like that. You know, keep him around. Eventually, just, you know, logically speaking, like with Lester, somebody else is going to get hurt. He's going to need to make starts. But with all your paying Darvish and like what his ceiling is, I really don't think you just take him out of the rotation until he's shown you that he is absolutely nothing. I think it's worth experimenting with a six-man rotation. Honestly, it gives everybody more rest. You get Chatwood out Mm -hmm. there and everyone gets an extra break. Come playoff time, that's going to be huge going deep into games. Yeah, I think especially, you know, uh, guys like Lester that are get, Lester and Hamels that are getting up there in age, giving them more rest, I think is certainly going to help the team. Like you said, gear up for a playoff run. It, it seemed like last year, uh, Lester especially started to lose steam. So if you can kind of, you know, prolong his effectiveness into the year, that's certainly would be a positive for that team. Exactly, exactly. Okay, we're going to move on to our big stories. And I'll start with mine first because it's not as nearly as big as yours. It, it was not the bat flip heard around the world, but it is very interesting. It has nothing to do with current Cubs, but let's take a time machine back to, I think his last time he pitched with the Cubs was 2010, something like that, 2009, mm-hmm. 2010. Uh, our boy, big Z Carlos Zambrano has announced a comeback at the age of 37 and has signed with the, your, my Chicago dogs. And I, for one, am very, very excited because impact field, in Rosemont is about 15 minutes from my house. And I would love to see big Z striking out a bunch of frontier league guys. You know, I've never been to a dog's game, but I think, you know, I'm going to, I guess I'll be coming out of the bullpen. So I, I got to make it out there to see him throw. I think one of my last memories of him in the major leagues is being at the Cubs Sox game where him and Barrett got into a, you know, a fight in the dugout. I remember just, you know, you could see something was going on from where we were sitting. And all of a sudden, you know, we get text messages, whatever alerts from ESPN that, uh, Zambrano got sent home. So it wasn't until after the game and I got home and saw what happened. But I, I guess you, to me, the most surprising thing about this whole thing is that he's 37 and he hasn't played in baseball in seven years. I would have guessed he was like 45 at this point. Yeah, no, we were just talking about that, me and my old man. And the fact that he was out of baseball at 30 mm-hmm. like shows legitimacy to this comeback. Yeah. I mean, he there's a lot of guys older than him still kind of have it. Yeah. So he's got a shot. He always, he always had talent, you know, it was just always like the, the firecracker mentality he had that he just couldn't seem like he would get unhinged pretty easily. So, you know, if he mellowed out, you know, baseball's using the bullpen more and more often now. So if he can piece together a decent season, maybe, I don't know, I doubt he gets back to the majors, but, I mean, you never know. You got uh, Fernando Rodney breaking Cy Young's all-time appearance record. So, you know, if that's happening, I guess maybe we can see Carlos Zambrano suit up in the majors at some point. 
Yeah, he was on the field the other day, and I had a chance to not talk to him, but I think it was either his brother or one of his buddies. And I was like, how excited are you for the dogs? And he's like, the dogs, man. Let's get those games going to the dogs. <laughs> and let me tell you, I went to a dogs game uh, last season, and it was a blast. The field's beautiful. They have two mascots, which is fantastic. The There's a good guy and a bad guy. The good guy, obviously, is mustard. Mm-hmm. And the bad guy being ketchup. Oh, which that's, is, that's awesome. For Chicago, it's it's perfect. So just for all of our non-Chicago listeners, don't you dare put ketchup on your hot dog. That's actually eat, eat whatever you want. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's. I mean, yeah, like seriously, having a, a hot mascots named a mustard and ketchup, like that's got to be the most Chicago thing ever. That's you know, definitely gonna have to make the trip out on the blue line to get to a few dogs games. Yeah, and let's just hope that there's no Gatorade dispensers in the dogs dugout. That are going to be destroyed oh. like four days after they get put in place. Yeah, you're. They're definitely going to want to at least put some sort of netting or just padding over that, like, or make sure that bats are nowhere in reach of Zambrano. I just hope they don't uh, big Z up the prices because I remember I got out of a Cubs game and I wanted to go to Impact mm-hmm. for the inaugural game, and the tickets were like 150 bucks. Oh, what? Which is it, insane. Yeah, for independent league, that makes no sense. Like that, you would expect it to be like. I mean, the White Sox have $5 tickets. I'd expect the dogs would be somewhere similar. Right, and then I went to a game later on, and they were like, you know, seven, eight bucks. So it was just that inaugural game. Everyone wanted to be a day one dogs fan like myself mm-hmm. and was not meant to be, but no. uh, I was there in spirit. All right, so let's move on to the White Sox, Pat. Uh, I know exactly what you're going to talk about, and yep. we have a lot to talk about. So what, what's going on? So obviously the biggest story for the White Sox, and really in baseball this week, was Tim Anderson. Uh, his bat flip, ejection, and ultimate suspension earlier this week. So, like I mentioned, uh, against the Royals on Wednesday, Tim Anderson hit an absolute rocket to left field. I think it was like 450 feet, like one of those no-doubters uh, off uh, uh, Brad Keller. And immediately turns, does a basically javelin toss with his bat towards the Sox dugout, you know, tries to fire the team up, starts walking to first. Next time up, immediately gets drilled in the leg. Uh, on the first pitch. So you know, he says some words over to Keller. He starts walking to first. And then for some reason, Maldonado starts holding him back, which I didn't really get. And he's, you know, tapping Maldonado on the shoulder saying like, okay, we're good. We're good. Next thing you know, the bench is empty. Uh, he, Tim Anderson seemed outside of the fray for most of it. Uh, Ricky Renteria started getting into it with uh, Dale's Fiam. And then ultimately uh, Ned Yost and him started getting a little bit into it. And then, so it was kind of surprising. Keller got ejected, obviously, for throwing intentionally. Ricky got ejected, which I guess made sense. He went after a coach on the other team and was held back by Joe West, which was kind of funny, him dangling on by one arm. And then Anderson got suspended, which was really weird at the time because he got hit by a pitch intentionally. And, you know, normally you wouldn't think getting hit by a pitch is something you get ejected for. That just, you know, doesn't make sense. So then all's well and good. He's out the rest of the game. And then it comes down Thursday that he is – suspended for one game which came out of nowhere like nobody saw that coming ultimately i guess you know the reports came out unofficially uh mlb never said it but it was for language uh that tim used directed at brad keller which you know i mean to me the concept of uh, suspending somebody for language as long as it's not you know like a personal threat or something of that nature makes no sense but so overall i mean that was the story of baseball this week not only the suspension and the ejection, but the whole practice of throwing at batters intentionally for showing up the pitcher and doing a bat flip, which to me is the dumbest thing ever. But, you know, pitchers get their feelings hurt so they can use the baseball as a weapon. Like, I mean, it, it makes no sense. 
Yeah, I've got a, a lot to dissect here. I'm starting off with the fact that Ricky Renteria definitely deserved to be ejected because he's acting like a, a maniac out there. Um, yeah. There's Going after him and Dale Swain going back mm -hmm. and forth, no one's really talking about the fact that Renteria replaced Swain. Yeah, that's true. That's Yeah, maybe that was the bad blood going there. Yeah, a little bit of a beef of the guy who took your job, maybe. I don't know. But um, if you can hear all the times that players swear on the field, mm -hmm. there would be suspensions left and right. Like, every time there's a strikeout, pretty much, like, you can guarantee, like, someone's yeah. screaming an F-bomb. Well, I'm guessing uh, last week when Kyle Schwarber went after the umpire for the game, I'm willing to bet there were some – just watching the video, there were some obscenities being hurled there. And, like, you know, I wrote about this in one of my blog posts. It's not to demonize him. You know, that's how, that's how athletes talk. It's like, you know – like I said, as long as you're not like threatening somebody or like, you know, something of that manner, I, it's something you can't, like you can't police it all the time. So why are you trying to police it now? Yeah. And time and place, I think I love bat flips, mm -hmm. bat flip to the oh, moon, but not in the fourth inning. I think uh, I, don't I don't know. It's, you know, I guess we want to get, you know, really into the semantics. It was a go ahead home run to make the game two nothing in an April game in the fourth inning on a Wednesday, but I don't know. I get it, but it's, this isn't a surprise. Tim Anderson, has always been that player that's out there throwing bat flips, playing with his heart on his sleeve. Like, I get it's not the World Series, it's not Jose Bautista, but still, like, baseball's been doing this whole let the kids play campaign. They're trying to, you know, they're heavily promoting on Twitter with Cut Four and, uh, you know, their own Twitter accounts, players doing bat flips. And then it's when this happens, then, you know, he gets ejected and suspended. It's just, it seems to be kind of a, some sort of double standard going on, which I don't know. I love it. It makes the game exciting, it makes it more fun. A lot of people, you know, maybe the older generation don't like it. But, you know, when guys like Tim Anderson or Javi Baez get out there and, you know, kind of play with some swag, it, it gets people fired up and it ultimately builds more interest in the game, which I'm all for. There was a lot of players chiming in on this. Mm -hmm. Pitchers, uh, batters, some for it, some against it. Marcus Stroman um, was all in on it. Celebrate. Yeah. As a pitcher, that's important to, to get that perspective. And there was a guy by the name of Randall Gritchick who oh, also gotcha, plays for gotcha. Toronto. Who, if we have this award, the mm -hmm. crybaby of the week, honestly, yeah. starting a Twitter beef with Tim Anderson over, without directly referring to him. I yeah, thought it was when, the most ridiculous thing. Well, then when Tim called him out and said, you know, he replied to him and said, uh, you know, put a name on your tweet so we can see who you're talking about. Because everybody knew who he was talking about. And of course, Gritchick, you know, the hero he is, responds, oh, I could have been, I was talking about in general, but, you know, because you're responding, you must be guilty, which is like a. You know, we knew who you were talking about. So, you know, way to really take a stand out there, Randall. But Marcus Stroman coming to Tim Anderson's defense, I think, was a good thing because those two have not had the uh, best uh, history, so to speak. You know, they've had a lot of beef with each other. There's been a lot of arguments on the field between the two. But And like you said, a pitcher coming out and defending him is good because, you know, all the time you see pitchers like, uh, you know, there's a video that was going around of Chris Archer, like bunny hopping off the mound. Pitchers celebrate strikeouts in the third inning all the time. You know, they get out of a jam in the seventh inning of a game in April and they're celebrating. Uh, and it's not like, you know, the batters retaliate, but all of a sudden a batter is a bat flip and it's totally fine for the pitcher to throw at them, which again, to me, uh, you can say whatever you want about, oh, this is the way the game's always been played. This is how it's done. You know, the batter should need to respect the game, which to me is just garbage because nobody wants the game to be played like it was in the fifties. If you want the sport to die, fine. Just keep letting that go on. But you know, the game, it needs to be made more fun if you want future generations to keep playing. Yeah, I think there's nothing more cowardly than an AL pitcher beating someone knowing yeah. damn well he's not coming up to bat. 
Yeah, that's a good point you make because, yeah, in the NL, you know, you got to go up there and face it. But in the AL, you're just standing on the mound and you're protected by a DH, which, again, I mean, it's just it's the concept that you can just go up there and, like, you know, hit the batter because your feelings got hurt. It's one thing if he, you know, is throwing the bat and taunting the pitcher or whatever, you know, somebody slides high and tries for an injury, then whatever, fight fire with fire. But when it's a guy celebrating and firing up his own team, like, just, you know, Jason Benetti said it pretty good during the broadcast, uh, you know, like wouldn't the better way to show him up be to get him out next time? You know, you served up a meatball that was launched 450 feet into the bleachers. Like, and you're, you know, throwing at a guy because he's better than you that, you know, stupid. Like, and then, I mean, you got the Royals broadcast saying Tim Anderson had to be held accountable for his actions, which is an absolute joke. Why? Because he was, so he's celebrating, which means he deserved to get hit, which is again, one of the old attitudes of baseball that's up there with, you know, respect the game. Oh, you know, back in my day, players used to wear their hats straight and they ran around the bases without saying anything. Like, nobody wants to watch that game anymore. Definitely not. Actually, there's probably a large contingency of people that still do. I did a little research. As of 2017, this is the last time they did one of these polls, the average age of an MLB baseball fan is 53 years old. That is why we are still having this debate is because it's, the average age is 53. It's crazy. Like, it's... Which, like, I mean, that's a terrible sign for the sport. If the average age of your fan is 53, like, what's going to happen in 20 years? You know, interesting. I mean, basketball has been growing in popularity. Football, regardless of all the concussions or whatever, is still America's biggest sport. So that average age keeps staying around 50. Like, baseball is going to have serious problems. You know, it seems like baseball, more than anywhere else, has these dumb, unwritten rules that are about integrity or whatever. But, you know... They're enforced spottily. You know, Mike Trout does a bat flip. Nobody's going to throw at him. Wonder why that is. Um, it's just it's it's these dumb things that just are about the way the game has always been played. Well, you know, if you don't want the game to die, it needs to change. Like in the '90s, the home run race is what picked it back up. It's just things change, and it's time to embrace it. Yeah, it's great when baseball changes. I mean, the way you scored runs, like way way back in the day, was you got four singles. That was yeah, like, like that's how you scored runs. No one even tried for second. Like, yeah. I mean, if you want to, if you want to go to a game with three hundred other people and watch slap hitters station to station base run all day, like, be my guest. But that's not, it's not fun. It's not exciting. People don't get out of the seats for that. People are going to get up and get out of the seats. Uh, you know, when they get a home run and players fired up, and like, look at Tim Anderson now. He's arguably the face of the White Sox right now. Baseball has been talking about him the whole week. If you're going to build a brand around a guy, that's your guy. Like, and it's not because he goes out there and plays with his head down and doesn't make any noise. It's because he plays passionately, you know, be out there being himself. That It's why he's, you know, if the White Sox had a brain, they would start marketing him more, which they're not for whatever reason. But it's just that that's the type of player you should really be, you know, focusing on. It's guys like him, Javi Baez, uh, Bryce Harper. Those are the marketable stars that baseball needs to start putting out there. Which, you know, as good as Mike Trout is, that's it's not his game. Which, whatever, everybody can be themselves, which is the point here. It's really hard to market West Coast players. Mm-hmm. Manny Machado is going to fall off the face of the earth. Like no one's even talking about yeah. him right now. Same thing with Mike Trout. You, the faces of baseball, play you know east of Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just what it is. The uh, average mm-hmm. age though is going to go down. I think. I think um, the Boomers kind of have a monopoly on it, so mm-hmm. they're getting pretty old. I think that'll go down. I hope. But they still I are hope so. insane outliers. I mean, we're not we're not calling for the death of grandma and grandpa. But we're no. just saying. It's just to, for baseball to survive, you need younger fans. Like it's just, it's, 
you know, the the pace of play is always going to be an issue. You can't do much about that. So what you can do is make the moments of the game more exciting. Like it, at a certain point, like like they're going to try to do all these things to speed the game up to make it appeal to millennials. But th- like I, you know, there's an inherent part of the game that there's no time limit. It can go on as long as you want. So it, to me, the easy solution to that is you make what happens during the game more exciting, which is you know players getting fired up, bat flips, more home runs, which is certainly happening this year. You guys hitting just bombs all over the place, but. I don't know. It's it, it, as somebody who loves baseball and it, it, it's been, it's my favorite sport. It always has been. It's hard to see people trying so hard to cling to these archaic notions of how the game is supposed to be played instead of embracing what's really best for it moving forward. Because, you know, I get like, Oh, the game polices itself, you know, the whole hitting batters intentionally, but if you want the game to, it, isn't it more important that the sport survives and grows? Like, isn't that, isn't that more important than some stupid piece of pride you have about sh- batter showing pitchers up? I mean, that's, I don't know. That's my view. Yeah. I think we pretty much covered it. Definitely something that's not going to stop uh, beating batters. That is, but mm-hmm. I honestly think we're going to look back at this exact moment when that kind of crap is just not tolerated anymore, yeah. hopefully sooner rather than later. And we're going to see Tim Anderson as the guy kind of got it started. Cause this happens a dozen times a year, mm-hmm. give or take. But it has never been talked about this much. No, this so is maybe I, this is maybe this is the time time things start to change. That's what I'm hoping for. You know, I think like we've talked about it a lot, so I guess it's time to start moving on. But you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, you, sure, you're aiming low, but how easy is it for a pitch to get away when you're throwing inside on somebody? It's just something that it, it's real. Like for player, players should be looking out for each other. It's just really something that shouldn't be a part of the game anymore. It's I don't know. There's. Like, if somebody's trying to hurt somebody, fine. But, you know, in a situation like this, it's just dumb. Just get the batter. Yeah. Just get the batter out and move on. Last point, if you are going to be in someone, don't lie and say it slipped. That's all I'm going to say. And yeah. we're definitely moving on. Who was the player of the week for the Sox? Yeah, yeah. this week for me, it was uh, – well, I wanted to say Tim Anderson, but uh, he, leading the AL in batting average. But for me, it was Yoan Moncada this week. He had a, uh, three home runs. He had two Tuesday night, and he had one – I believe it was Friday – when he had a third one of the week, he's been, you know, this has been a breakout year for him and Tim Anderson as well, but Makata's looking way more patient at the plate. He's, I believe what, 20, we're uh, 19 games in the season, whatever it is, and he does not have a looking strikeout yet. I think at this point last year, he had already had like 15. So, you know, he's seeing the, he's always had a good eye. It's just last year he took too many pitches. He wasn't aggressive. This year he's getting out on the count. When he sees a good pitch, he's t- he's swinging. He's putting the ball in play, and we're seeing the results on that. He's hitting absolute rockets. He's hitting home runs. And that shot he hit Friday night, uh, I believe it was in Detroit, like 465 to dead center. It was insane. That was one of the craziest home runs I've ever seen in addition to Avi Garcia's moonshot in Tampa earlier this week. But for me, Moncada is the key to the whole thing. And, you know, his big week, he went off. He's continuing to go off, and that's – probably the most encouraging thing we've gotten as White Sox fans this year. Yeah, he's kind of following that Javi Baez trajectory mm-hmm. in the sense that once he can get away from the strikeouts, which he so far has been doing, you really get to see what kind of player you're dealing mm-hmm. with. The, the, the strikeouts are kind of distracting yep. to their overall talent level. So the fact that he's cutting down on those is, is, is massive. Um, my player of the week is Kyle Hendricks, and I talked about his dominant start, 11 Ks. Diamondbacks had no shot. It was unbelievable. The changeup was one of the filthiest I've seen from him in a long time. We're talking about in the last two years. 
and he knew his changeup was on, and he he did not stop using it. And no matter how many times the Diamondbacks saw it, they were just swinging and missing on on balls in the dirt, changeups low, and it it was really good to see. I'm really excited for his next start because if you do it two times in a row, yep. he's officially back. Yep. I mean, you know, that's the thing. You know, with a lot of pitchers struggling, or well, mainly Darvish, Q's looking a lot better right now. Lester's hurt. I mean, Hendricks has got to be your ace. Like he, that's your that's your horse. So him turning a corner is easily one of the bigger developments for the Cubs this early season. Yeah, Cubs just extended him too, so he and better. Extremely be friendly deal. That was they're not paying him like for what it, for what his value is. That's a real good deal. Yeah, I think uh, we've talked about it before. Security is almost mm-hmm. more important to players than dollar value. Yep. Um, so glad Kyle's picking it up. I want to jump back really quick. I just remembered Tim Anderson on, on Players Week should have Guy on the back yep. of his jersey. Ah, uh, that's right, because Randall Gritcha called just called him Guy. Yeah, he's like, yeah, easy guy, yeah. like you'd say to like yeah. a, a guy at the bar, you know, who's yeah. giving you a hard time. I'm so glad I remember that because I would have yeah. been so mad if I didn't bring that in. But that's, I've, seen some, I've seen some people saying that, and that would be absolutely hilarious. I don't know who they're playing that weekend, but if by some act of God it's against the Blue Jays, that would be hilarious. Oh, that would be incredible. I would I would buy a jersey. I would buy a <laughs> oh, yeah. guy jersey. Just guy. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Okay, um, this is our second week of doing this. We still don't know what to call it. In case you forgot, is in the works. Random cub, random sock. Kind of weak. Where are they now? Overused. Regardless of what it is, we're going to talk about a Cubs and a White Sox player that you may have forgot about. Maybe you'll, some fond memories will be reinvoked. We'll see what happens. We're going to start with you, Pat. Who do you got this week? So th- my uh, addition this week of the random player is Donnie Veal, a former relief pitcher for the Sox. He was actually drafted by the Cubs in the second round of the 05 draft, greatest year in baseball history. Eventually, he left the Cubs, bounced around to the Pirates, uh, you know, bounced around in the minors, didn't do much there. Uh, came to the Sox in 2011 and made it up to the big leagues in 2012. Uh, he was a, in and out of the bullpen for the next couple of years between Charlotte and Chicago, uh, eventually leaving the White Sox in 2014. A very unspectacular stint with the White Sox. He wasn't, you know, I guess that's why he's on here. He wasn't a lockdown reliever. Uh, but, you know, he was up every now and then. And the last name, Veal, you know, it's a kind of memorable last name. Uh, didn't last too much longer in baseball after that. Played with the Braves in 2015. And then after that, he bounced around a lot. Went to the Long Island Ducks Independent League in 2015. Uh, tried to make it with the Rangers in 2016, but didn't. So then, you know, I got to thinking, what is he up to now? So I actually found his LinkedIn page, which I guess I got to do this more often when I do this is go on LinkedIn. Uh, looks like he played on this team, Aguilas. Uh, I don't. Even, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. Uh, Mexican league team for uh, three months, uh, then became a coach at an organization in Arizona uh, for providing mentorship and leadership for troubled youths. Went on to being the pitching coach at South Mountain Community College in Phoenix. That was for a couple months. Then out of baseball was a process process technician at a company called Linde Americas. No idea what they do. I didn't look that up, but I just think it's crazy. He goes from coaching and pitching to being a process technician. He did that for a year and four months, or he's still doing it now, I guess. Uh, he's also apparently a scout for the Yankees since January of this year. So Donnie is somebody who's certainly bounced around the last couple of years. And like I said, I think LinkedIn is going to be a great way to find this information. So uh, definitely going to be looking up some players on there next week. 
Uh, yeah, I'm really mad I did not look up my guy's LinkedIn. By far my least favorite social media site, but if it's going to help <laughs> us with segments like this, I think it is worth a shot. That's what, you know, I realize a lot of these guys I'm trying to find, I can't find anything about them online. So then I'm just like, you know what, I'm going to try LinkedIn and we're going to see. And then when I saw that there was a Donnie Veal, and he has, the craziest thing is he has all his pitching experience in his, uh, you know, past jobs in LinkedIn, which is just awesome. Like, oh yeah, pitcher for the Chicago White Sox. Like, okay. That, that's a power move to put on a LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn um, and I have my Cubs job as my job. And it's always suggesting like former players <laughs> to like connect with. Awesome. Oh, they're like, oh, you're your coworker, like, you know, my guy. I'm about to <laughs> say. Um, he hasn't popped up yet, but I'm hoping he does. Uh, so is that it for your buddy, Veal? Yeah, that's all I got on Donnie. Uh, unspectacular player, but the fact that he's now a scout with the Yankees, I don't know. It's just, you know, he's been around all over the place and you like to see that with these guys. Excellent. Okay. So I wanted to get to this guy before you did for <laughs> a number of reasons. I am going with our boy, 05 World Series champion with the Sox, but also a Cub for quite some time, Neil Kotz. If you recall, Neil Kotz was pretty much a stud in 05. So mm-hmm. him coming over to the Cubs, we got re- really excited only to find out how much he really could get injured. So Neil Kotz from Lebanon, Illinois. So he's an Illinois guy. It's the second week in a row after Rob McCobiak that we're doing an Illinois guy. He attended my alma mater, Illinois State University, where he was first team all Missouri Valley because the Valley runs deep. <laughs> he was then drafted. Um, by the Oakland A's in the second round with the 69th overall pick in 2001. Um, but he was also the highest player drafted uh, out of Illinois State and finished his collegiate career ranked fifth all-time in school history in strikeouts with 263 mm. in just three seasons. So go Redbirds. Didn't play with the A's. He made his major league debut with the White Sox in 03, won the World Series in 05, and stuck around until 06 mm. just so he could hang out with Jim Tomei. Then he was sent over to the Cubs for a deal and it, it was traded for David Ardsma and Carlos Vasquez, who we, we might talk oh, yeah. about later on. So didn't do so great with the Cubs. Had of some a few spurts of greatness and then just kind of fizzled off. Then he was optioned to AAA. Uh, they brought up Sean Marshall. He was signed to a um, pretty small deal, but it was the elbow injuries. Had to have Tommy John in 09. It's kind of a par for the course with these hard-throwing lefties. Ended up on the Rangers, then kind of fizzled out with uh, the Brewers, signed him to a, actually a one-year $3 million deal in 2015, traded the Twins. He was all over the place. So he ended his career like most washed-up relievers, just bouncing around from AAA team to AAA team. He was the Yankees organization, the Angels, back to the Rangers, back to the Nationals. So another journeyman. I think that's kind of the trend here, but I really wanted to get to uh, my Redbird. Neil Cotts, and hopefully, once this podcast is going for a while, this that'll be a guy I'd like to have on. You know, talk some, talk some Redbird baseball. Yeah, I mean, you know, he he'd cover all our bases. You know, he's a Redbird. He's from Illinois, oh, oh five champion. So you know, personal hero of mine, and played for the Cubs. So he, as a Rick Hahn likes to do with prospects, he would certainly check the boxes. Oh yeah, Ricky Hahn loves to check the boxes. Mm-hmm. All right, we're gonna end it as we always do. That's our that's our show for the week. Once again. Pat will be asked a question he has not heard yet. He will give you his candid response, and we will close out the week. This one will obviously be a last-second question because mm-hmm. I couldn't think of anything, but it's a good one. And so let's just go for it. Uh, hit me. Okay. 
straight up, who was your least favorite baseball player to watch play against the Sox? Or just in general, like when he comes up to bat, doesn't matter who they're playing, you almost change the channel and F this guy. Okay, so that one for me is 100% without a doubt. This is a name I was not expecting to say today or even think about, but uh, former power hitter for the Indians back in the day, Travis Hafner. He, it seemed like in those mid-2000s years, whenever he came up, he was just hitting moon shots against the Sox. Like, I I don't know what it was. Those Indians teams were never that great besides that run they went on in 05 and then maybe like 07. But he just, it seemed like, I don't know what it was about him. Just did not like the guy, didn't care for him at all, and just always seemed to just tee off on our pitching. There's a couple other guys I could put into here, like Mark Tien, who we tried to sign, and then he was just god-awful for us. Uh there were a lot of twins teams I didn't like, but if I have to go with the singular guys, Travis Hafner, like I feel like, you know, a question like this, it's gotta be a division rival. And for whatever reason, it seemed like the Indians were they were more pests for those mid two thousand Sox teams. It was always the twins running division with the exception of 05, but I don't know what it was. I just I just remember as like a ten to like fifteen year old just having this deep seated hatred for Travis Hafner. And I don't really know why. I don't know what he's up to now. Uh and he wasn't like, you know, that outstanding of a player outside of the three or four year stretch, but a guy I just could not stand to watch that that was it. He consistently had like a couple thirty plus home runs yeah. season. So he was doing his damage for sure. Yeah, I was I I and I I don't know. I, I have no way to fact check this right now, but I gotta imagine at least seventy percent of those home runs were coming at a US cellular field back in the day. It just it seemed like whenever I watched him play, he was just hitting bombs. So it's just the type of guy that it's like, you know. I'm sure there's plenty of Cub killers out there. You know, Albert Pujols back in the day or Carlos Lee for the Sox. But it's just, yeah, God, just get chills thinking about it. Yeah, so mine was close. You were close <laughs> going the Carlos Lee Pujols route because they, they murk the Cubs. But I continue to this day to go with Brian Braun on so many <laughs> levels. Just my least favorite <laughs> athlete yep. of all time. Literally, there is not a single athlete. If I had to have a dinner, I would pick Aaron Rodgers over Ryan Braun. That's right. That's, that's big. And turns out those two are buddies. Okay, so today I'm working a cup game. Someone mm-hmm. pulls me aside and says, you know who you look like? That idiot from the Milwaukee. I go, there's a lot of idiots from Milwaukee. You're going <laughs> to have to be more specific. He says, Ryan Braun. I go, that is insulting on so many levels. That's, yeah, that's, that's hard. Yeah. I was like, one, he's kind of ugly. And two, <laughs> like, he just he kills the Cubs. Three, it's yeah. the steroid thing. Yeah. It's the cockiness. It's when he walks up and warms up, taking swings like mm-hmm. over his head. Like there's just yeah. so many hateable things about the Hebrew Hammer that like I just I just can't stand. I I, I can go on a, on a Tim Anderson like rant about Ryan Braun, but I, but I'll save us the trouble. Yeah, we might get there one of those weeks, you know, if they got a, a series against the Brewers, we can hit on, but. Yeah, I don't know. Brian Braun always rubbed me the wrong way for the whole steroid thing. I don't care that he did steroids. It's the fact that he demonized the guy that took a sample, claimed him of tainting it, and then when he was finally caught, he went away quietly. Like that to me is just like if you're if you get caught, just admit it. I don't care if you do, but just admit it. Like don't be that guy. Right. Like just pulling Andy Pettit. Mm-hmm. Andy Pettit's like, yeah, I did it. I'm sorry, and people are voting. Nobody for talks him. about it. Yeah, nobody talks about him doing steroids anymore. Because he, he owned up to it and everybody moved on. He didn't make it worse on himself. Definitely. So that is the end of episode number five. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at ShoelessGoatPod. You can hear this on Spotify, iTunes, or LetMeBeFrankBlog.com. We could also use LM, LMBFSports.com, the new domain. Pat, as always, it's been a pleasure. 
Let's hope for a couple of big weeks again out of our Cubs and White Sox. Mm-hmm. And I look forward to our next conversation, buddy. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to the game Friday. So, uh, you know, looking forward to a big week for the Sox. Hopefully they can uh, pick up a little bit momentum from earlier in this past week. Hopefully lots and lots of bad flips. Thank you. Yeah, so much, everyone, and we will see you next week.